Hey, Sarasota, it's Bob. So it's been a wonderful grind over the past 18 months. We've had some fabulous guests. We've produced over 150 episodes. and We've had over 10,000 listens from you wonderful folks in the greater Sarasota area. It's been a lot of fun, but also it's been a lot of work. And so we've decided to take a little bit of a break until this fall. When you check out other podcasts, you're going to see that most put out a new episode only once a week. We put out two, so of course that means there's twice the work. A lot of show notes, scheduling, guests, editing, etc., etc., etc. So we've decided to take a little break for the rest of the summer and we will resume this fall. And we'll let you know. But before I sign off, can you do me a little favor? Reach out to us via Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Drop us a little note. I'd like to know more about what you want to hear when we resume in the next couple of weeks. That'd be a big help because without you, dear listener, we would not exist. As always, thank you for tuning in. Have a wonderful summer, and we'll be back soon where you can listen, learn, and connect. Good morning, Sarasota. This is the Sarasota Stories podcast. This is part one of a two-part series. It seems like the greater Sarasota real estate market has been on fire forever. All you have to do is look at all the out-of-state license plates to know people are moving here in droves and with it comes changes in everything having to do with property. But what about the changes in the last 12 months? Today's guest has the pulse on the local markets and he shares where we are and what to expect going forward. I'm very pleased to welcome Clint Caston, Global Real Estate Advisor with Premier Sotheby's International Realty. In this episode, you'll learn one thing most people don't know about Clint, trends in the local residential real estate market, trends in the local commercial real estate market, what the big websites like Realtor.com and Zillow.com fall short on, why new investors like me need a seasoned pro for their first purchase, and much, much more. I'm so glad you joined us today. And as always, it's my hope that you will listen, learn, but most importantly, connect. Clint Caston, Global Real Estate Advisor with Premier Sotheby's International Realty. Welcome to the Sarasota Stories Podcast. Yeah, thrilled to be here. Thank you, Bob. It's a pleasure to have you on. And we were talking before I hit record, and I said I had a uh, lovely meeting with your wife at the uh, Sarasota Chamber of Commerce yesterday. So I, I get two class, two 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 castings in one week. So lucky me. Yeah, I would say so <laughs> in terms of at least meeting with her. I don't know as much about me, but uh, definitely if you get to spend some time with her, it's a pleasure. Yeah, it is. It is a pleasure. I will say, I for quite some time I've been wanting to get somebody on who really has their pulse on the real estate market here. So I'm really happy to have you on. We are going to get into what's happening right now, real estate, commercial, residential, all that good stuff. We're going to to give some tips to our listeners, whether they're interested in either one of those markets. But before we get into that, I always have to ask my guest, what is one thing that most people don't know about Clint Caston? Well, uh, I would I would probably go with the fact that, uh, as a surprise to me, I was able to work in and negotiate deals in the lower 48 states, in all 48 states, before I was 35 years old. 
Oh my goodness. Yeah. So I, well, at how one did you point do I that? could tell you where to have lunch in Bismarck, you know, or <laughs> San Francisco or wherever, because we used to just fly in and fly out. And it was, uh, it was, it was about a million flyer miles a year. And it allowed me to see so much of this beautiful country that we live in and oh, man. deep appreciation for just a wonderful country. I love it. Pretty extraordinary, I will say. So, so I mean, and those deals were what? What kind of businesses were you guys buying or selling? Or yeah, I was leading a, a boutique private equity firm at the time, where we were working with qualified business operators to mm. go out and find companies that fit with them, and then we would pull together the rest of the capital that we would need to do the deal. We would stay on in ownership, stay on in the board of directors. And then ultimately work our way out of those deals, hopefully after they've grown and become uh, wonderfully successful. And I well, did that good, for 15 years. My goodness, you're getting right into the business aspect of Clint Caston right up front. So, well, yeah. that's good. What we're going to get into. Well, that sounds fascinating. I mean, I, so, I mean, were you like a road warrior for several years then? Yes, I was. For the first 15 years of my career, it was it was uh, uh, a, a night when I got to put my my head on my own pillow was a treasured night indeed. That's great. Well, that's an interesting background. I, I did that for a number of years uh, early in my career. I was flying back and forth to the Caribbean. Uh, I'd hop on a plane Monday morning and come back on Friday. So uh, I would agree. I, there's, there's nothing like being in your own bed. So. <laughs> Well, well, give us some broad strokes then. I mean, you've, you've already touched upon that kind of with your business background, but you're originally from the Missouri area. How did you end up in Sarasota? And then, you know, kind of share with us how you ended up in real estate. Well, as quickly as I can, I guess I did grow up in the greater St. Louis area, graduated from the University of Iowa, where I intensely learned that I wanted to live somewhere south of there. <laughs> Negative 100 is not for me. Uh, and then uh, <laughs> I spent some time, uh, like I said, in the greater St. Louis area doing mergers and acquisitions. Uh, I did that for 15 years, uh, decided to get out of that, went into full-time real estate investing in 05. And uh, that led me to Springfield, Missouri for five years. And then ultimately here to Sarasota, amazing, wonderful Sarasota in 2010, and uh, continued with the full-time real estate investing until about 2018, 2019, at which time I decided I really wanted to go long and deep being the best realtor that I could be and sharing what I've learned over that career. That's great. That's, that's it. Now, when did you meet Heather and where? I met Heather on a blind date in October of 1988. And we got married somewhere along the line. I think it was 91. But as far as I'm concerned, <laughs> it's been 34 years uh, of exclusivity since the day I met her. You, you got married somewhere along the line there. I hope you know when your anniversary is. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's funny. That's funny. Well, well, I guess let's go ahead and, and, and get into it then. With your mergers and acquisition background, um, let's talk a little bit about – well, let's hold off on commercial here because I because I know there's some listeners out there. there. There's a lot of folks out there looking to invest in real estate, whether commercial or residential. Let's talk a little bit about the residential market. I'm sure a lot of folks hop on the internet and they want to see how much their house is worth. House is worth, and they make them feel a little, maybe you know, a little wealthier or, or maybe a little poorer. I don't know. But uh, let's talk about the residential market. I mean, it's just been, you know, hot as a firecracker in July for a couple of years now. 
of all the folks moving down here, and then it seems like it's cooled a little bit. So um, you kind of tell us where we are right now in the residential housing market. Absolutely, Bob. I think if I were to use one one word to describe the current real estate market here, January 23 in Sarasota, Florida, I would use the word resilient. The market has been remarkably resilient. There's a lot of different ways you can measure it. You can talk about it. The, you can talk about the offsetting forces. But for me, the most simplest way to describe it is probably in terms of the number of homes that are on the market in Sarasota and Manatee County. And that would be the single family home inventory. Pre-COVID, that inventory number was running 5,000 to 5,500 homes on a regular basis. And that was kind of considered normal. We went into COVID and that inventory dove down to 900 homes where it was absolutely insane. And it ran at insane for almost a year. What, what, and what that, do you attribute that to? I mean, I mean, you guys, you guys in your space, you talk about that. I mean, cause that was such an odd time in our country's history and, and obviously Sarasota's history. But what, what do you attribute that to? I believe it's a confluence of events. I believe that that the cheap interest rates had a lot to do with it. The stimulus money and all of the money, the liquidity that was being thrown into the market so that we avoided this uh, disastrous crash. You had the PPP money that came out. You had all of this right. type of funds and this liquidity that came into the market. And that money tends to migrate to where it's going to serve its owners best. And when you look at what Southwest Florida has to offer in terms of lifestyle, in terms of climate, in terms of no state income tax, in terms of remote work, that really drove, I mean, it was a nation, nationwide phenomena, but we really experienced it to the nth degree here in this area for, I think, that confluence of reasons. And that drove that inventory down to an insane level of it's, it's, only it's, 900 it's homes. You know, I guess, you know, just from, you know, just from my readings and whatnot, I think the other thing is, is people were looking, Florida was more open, I think, during all that. And you can argue whether the decision was right or wrong for that. Oh, but yeah. I remember reading one article of a, of a family that moved from California to Florida because, you know, like their teenagers were having problems because they're having to wear a mask and they're reading all this gloom and doom stuff. And they came to Florida and it was just really for the emotional stability you know, they're teenagers. So I, I, I completely may, agree. I, yeah. I think that the socioeconomic fabric really just acted like a magnet and, and it has a way of building. And, and as it became more popular, it became even more popular. Uh, you know, people are interested in things that become more scarce. And as it became more scarce, it really built up a lot of momentum and, and drove down that, that inventory to a level that was really not fun for buyers and not for realtors. I mean, it was just an intense 24 hours, seven days a week experience where you could offer well in excess of list price, cash, no inspections, and not even get a call back. I will say, and it's interesting, this is a couple of years ago. I will say, I'll share this story. <clears throat> uh, we live in the Osprey area and uh, older home, uh, 97, we, it, we built 97. I mean, we did some renovations and stuff, but we thought about moving out to one of these newer developments out past 75 and went out there and spoke with, uh, and, um, it was artistry. I think it was artistry. And we walked, we went in there, talked with the guy, the staff, you know, the realtor, the, the staff guy there. And he said, I, at the time he said, if you give me, he says, if you say you'll give me an extra hundred thousand dollars for this home right now, 
He says, I can't take it. He said, because yeah, I guess he had escalation clauses. Is that the term? Yep, it's it's like because pricing was yeah. going up and, and people were moving and it was just nuts. Yeah. And so I, I, I mean, I feel for you guys during that period. Yeah. Yeah. That reminds me, Bob, of, you know, even going back and this, I think, leads up to what what ultimately ended in crazy, which was four or five years ago. I would take buyers out and we would go to some of these new developments that you mentioned east of 75 in Lakewood Ranch area, particularly. And you would drive in and you would see as far as the eye could see, you could see homes under construction. I'm right. talking 200 plus homes under construction. Incredible. You get to the sales center and you say, Hey, meet, meet my wonderful buyers here from the upper Midwest. They're looking at retirement. They want to play some golf and they'd love to buy a home and they'd love to move in in the next 60 days. And, 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 and at the sales center four or five years ago, they would say, well, here's a few lots that were just released. You need to pick your floor plan, pick your upgrades, pick your lot, and we will deliver this home sometime in the next 10 to 14 months. This was four or five years ago. This was pre crazy. And I thought to myself, how can we have so much construction and it's still not enough? And that ultimately led us to the point where, you know, when, when, when we got to COVID, when the liquidity came and even more buyers came, I think that's what really led us to a point of, of, of unsustainable growth of price growth. Yeah. 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 It was great. At this point, I believe, Bob, that the market has stabilized. Uh, and I would, what does I would, that mean when you say stabilize? What does that mean from maybe a buyer or seller's perspective? Yeah. Uh, for the last nine months, inventory has run consistently around 3,300 homes on the market. So pre-COVID, you're at just over 5,000. Crazy, you're at down at 900. Now we're at 3,300. And it's literally up to the buyer's and seller's interpretation. Is that glass half full or is it half empty? Because it's about half of what it was in terms of inventory. But what I like about the inventory of the market where we are now is that it's not, it's not volatile. It's not spiking up and down. It has been just flat at 3,300 homes on the market for the last nine months. And that really allows buyers and sellers to determine within a moderate range. What's a fair value. Right. Right. That's, and that's the key. I think, um, and again, I'm thinking from other markets that I've dealt with is just really price discovery because it was when it's so crazy like that. And I mean, and I, you know, I'd hop on realtor.com or Zillow and, you know, I'd take a look at homes and, sure. you know, I have this fantasy at some point I'm going to buy, you know, 25 acres out in the country because yeah. I'm a country boy at heart. But, uh, you know, I'd hop on there and I'd take a look at that. And it was just like, it was going up and up and up. And right. it's just like, you know, like sometimes right. how crazy stock market can be. So. Yeah. And well, I think that those are, are valuable tools and those are, are good things to keep your finger on the pulse of, but Zillow, nor the National Association of Realtors, you know, they, they, they I mean, these are billion dollar corporations that spend right. millions in coming up with these widgets that, that suggest a range of value, but that doesn't necessarily make it so. And I think that you have to collect all your data points, those included, uh, and then also, you know, work with somebody who keeps their finger on the pulse of the market every day. You know, that's, and that's a great point because Case Schiller, what's it called? Case Schiller Real Case Estate. Schiller, yeah. and, but, but it's like for the entire country. Right. And so it's such right. a hyper, you know, if when you go to buy or sell, I mean, it's within the neighborhood or even a street on the neighborhood. Right. And so. Absolutely. You, One side you, of the street could be worth this and the other side is that. And it's, and it's really hard. And I feel for particularly the Midwestern buyers. I think that the coasts are a little more used to it, but the Midwestern buyer, they're used to doing a price per pound. 
and they go, well, here's the square footage. Here's the purchase price. Well, this person wants $350 a square foot. That's got to be a bad deal because the one yeah. across the street is 275 Well, the one is on the water view and has an expansive private you know, pool and all the things that aren't captured in square footage. And so it really takes a separation of, of some of the traditional thinking when you come down here and you try to determine fair value. Yeah, and I think it's interesting because you have a, a place on your website there where people can reach out to you and say, okay, what's my house really worth? And yeah. so, and you would have the pulse on that. It's interesting because you say that because my home is actually, it's in a small um, in a small neighborhood. My house is actually on the golf course. Mm-hmm. And some folks in the community think that, you know, that's, you know, like like I have a benefit for that. And I said, yeah, well, take a look at my pool screen. <laughs> And I and, and you can tell me whether that's a benefit. And I mean, you know, the view is very falls. nice. <laughs> the view's very nice, but uh, yeah, we do. We have had we've had to put you know more robust uh, pool screens in. So worst golfers in the world, right out here. So yeah. Well, so then, so then, if um, if I'm a home buyer, I'm a, let's talk. Let's give some tips to some folks out there. They're Maybe they're thinking of selling their home in the real estate uh, mm-hmm. in the market. Um, what are some things they should keep in mind since this normalization has kind of happened? What What are some things they should keep in mind when they go to put their house in the market? You know, I think that that you know some of the resources that you mentioned are good places to start in order to build that foundation of knowledge of what is this property really worth. Um, you know, I, I use those tools myself and then I build on that with additional research that you dive right. down, you know, and you, and you really kind of start at the top from a macro level and then you zoom in on, on by the street and by the neighborhood. And, and, and it's very difficult to, to tell what the crystal ball, where it's going to go, but you can with, with reasonable certainty determine the fair range of value for that home. And then I think it becomes a matter of, of how do you put that home in the best light? And I basically have a, a fundamental four-step process and in priority, I personally believe that a seller should put their money first into the curb appeal. What makes that thing attractive sure. from the curb? If, if there's no pride of ownership for that next potential buyer, they're just probably not going to buy it at any price. So I would put it into the curb appeal. I would put it into the kitchen, shiny, bright, light, open, Everything sure. that looks good. Then I would put it into the primary suite, uh, which, which is where, you know, most folks or buyers are going to spend most of their time. And then the fourth place I'd recommend putting money into a home is, is in the next best thing about your house. And that might be your pool in the Lanai area, your outdoor kitchen. It could be even some cool aspect of your garage. Uh, it could be, you know, the view that you have, and maybe it's trimming some trees back and really enhancing the picture frame window of the view. Uh, those are the four areas that, that I personally have found over the years uh, give you the biggest bang for the buck uh, when you go to sell your house. Uh, but I think that 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 much like a fishing guide can help you to put it you on the fish. Sure. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't determine the best outcome, but man, I tell you what, they more oftentimes than not, they're gonna they're gonna help you to to to, to be productive. And I think a real a good real estate agent is in the same way. Is, is some of the are, are some of the expectations? that sellers are coming to you do do you have to say look what you were reading and you know 18 months ago six months ago that's gone uh, do, do you kind of have to kind of say listen here's the here's the new reality right 
And there's a lot of coaching that does go into that. And, and everybody comes at it from a unique perspective. Uh, and, and yes, right now, I would say that the most, the most common discussion that you have with, with a homeowner is that, that, is that that feeding frenzy craziness of, you know, figure out what you think it's worth and then add a hundred grand. Those days are over. <laughs> and that being accurate in your pricing is ultimately going to help you get the most. And that the, I personally believe that that one of the biggest mistakes that a home seller can make is overpricing their home. Yeah. They overprice the home. They don't get the traffic. They wonder what's wrong. They start to cut the price. The days on market starts to add up. It, it gets to be inconsistent with what the buyer is seeing. And then ultimately the buyer says, well, what's wrong with this house? It's been on the market for 35 days. Everything else is sort of two weeks or less. Mm. And and in, in fact, there may be absolutely nothing wrong with the house other than they have their own pricing strategy going in. Right. So, you know, right, I think right. that, that that model of, hey, you can always cut it back. You know, you can always cut your price. You just can never ask more. I think there's a flaw in that logic. And I, I, right. I encourage people to go to a more accurate market pricing model. I think that ultimately gets that, that seller the most money. And really get granular on that, you know, with, with the stuff yeah. that you do. That's pretty interesting. You know, one of the, one of the things that I, I kind of skipped over here, you know, in like a new, well, first off, what, what homes are selling right now? What, what price point is it? The higher end <laughs> stuff? Is it the middle market? Is it all over the place? You know, I think that it is all over the place in terms of dollar value, but in terms of the characteristics of the home, of those homes, whether it's $350,000 house or a $3.5 million house, what's really selling right now are homes that are move-in ready, super attractive, don't need work. People will pay. They've always paid a premium for that, but right now I think the buyers are willing to pay a super premium for that. I, I and that, yes. and that's what's hot. Yeah, I, 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 I think uh, I can't remember if I'm repeating myself, but I think we were talking before I hit record, and unfortunately, I have to put a roof on my home, and I'm going through that right now. And I want to get in a little bit in supply chain issues because I have a six month wait. Uh, yeah. I put the deposit down. I, I got a good roofer. I'm uh, highly recommended Zola Roofing, and um, but they cannot get materials probably for another, you know, four to six months down the road. And they were, they were, they were very clear up front and which I appreciate. So, but what, what, as far as construction is concerned, what's, what's happening there? I mean, is supply chain issues, has that cooled off or is that still a big deal? I believe that, that there are still supply chain issues. I do believe that we are in a gradual process of, deglobalization in terms of the supply chain. And I do think that that is going to have a long lasting impact. I think that you can still get your materials. You can still get your work done. I think it just takes more patience, particularly if you want to work with the people you're most comfortable with. Uh, and those people you're most comfortable with are usually the best at what they do. You have confidence in them. And, and I personally believe that, that in the long run, uh, that that's probably a very wise choice is to go with the people, choose the people first, choose the, the, the price second or third, right. And then choose the quality of the workmanship of what they're going to do. Yep. And that's, and then, and, but I think it starts with, with picking the right vendors and the right people to do business with. It's hard to do the, the right deal with the wrong people and whether that's a roof or building an entire home or air conditioner, you name it, 
go go for the people first. That's that's my suggestion. Yep, and I have had good and bad experiences in the contract area. So what I will say is that I, I now turn to my uh, my yard guy because he's been here for like thirty years. He knows everybody, so he he references people to me, and and uh, so that's where I got Zola Roofing, and and I'm convinced they're going to do a really good job. Hello, dear listeners. This is Bob again. Thank you so much for stopping by. I sure hope you enjoy listening to our interviews as much as we do providing them. If so, would you do me a little favor? Go to sarasotastories.co and enter in your email. That way you'll get notifications of all upcoming episodes. Also, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And remember, no matter where you go, to listen, learn, and connect.